Hi, this is 10 Minutes to Better Patient Communication. I'm Dr. Anne-Marie Liebel. Over the course of the last year, I've spoken several times with an African-American male physician, and at one point, we were talking about his professional journey in medicine. He mentioned, kind of offhand, that he had learned to be more comfortable with, as he put it, quote, being the only black person in the room, hearing, how did you come to this job, as a not thinly veiled insult, end quote. During a separate conversation months later, he asked me to help with unconscious bias in his communication. He was concerned that at times he might be unintentionally offending patients. He was aware that, without intending to, he might be doing what was being done to him. You know unconscious bias exists within and beyond the medical profession. You know it has multiple and serious negative health effects. You also know everyone has unconscious biases, and that these emerge through words and actions. And you want to do something about it. I'm going to show you how one idea, a concept you might have heard of before, can help you address hidden or unintentional bias in your language. Welcome to 10 Minutes to Better Patient Communication with Dr. Anne-Marie Liebel. Providing you with tips and strategies you can use to improve your patient engagement. So you know about unconscious bias. You may have taken the IAT. But what do you do about it? Looking closely at your language is one concrete way to address unconscious bias. 30 years ago, influential law scholar and critical race theorist Charles Lawrence III wrote, quote, Another manifestation of unconscious racism is akin to slip of the tongue. One might call it a slip of the mind. While one says what one intends, one fails to grasp the racist implications of one's benignly motivated words or behavior, end quote. It's unsettling to realize we may be offending people accidentally, but in the context of health care, the stakes are higher than some social tension. In terms of patient-provider relationships and health outcomes, the effects of these slips of the mind can be dramatic. There is a concept addressing these benignly motivated words that has guided empirical study in clinical psychology and in education for more than a decade. Microaggression research challenges bias and inequity by drawing attention to and working with, everyday language. What are microaggressions? A widely cited study, kind of put microaggressions on the map, although it wasn't the first to use microaggressions, was from Sue et al. in 2007. And they defined microaggressions as, quote, brief and commonplace daily verbal, behavioral, and environmental indignities, whether intentional or unintentional, that communicate hostile, derogatory, or negative slights and insults, end quote, to members of marginalized groups. Again, these are communicated through words and actions. Now, Sue et al.'s 2007 article focused on racial microaggressions, as has much research since. But since then, microaggression taxonomies have been developed focusing also on microaggressions aimed at 
people who are marginalized populations in other ways, through gender, religious minority groups, ability status, age, class, and LGBTQ people, and there's more on the horizon. Much microaggression research focuses on the unintentional and unconscious manifestations of these brief, ordinary, negative remarks. Two of these forms include micro-insults and micro-invalidations. Both are subtle and demeaning. Micro-insults convey an insensitivity to someone's identity, and micro-invalidations minimize or negate someone's experiences as a member of a marginalized group. Now, microaggression researchers often collect statements made or heard by study participants, along with some contextualizing data, and then seek to identify patterns across these occurrences. It's common to read what Sue calls the hidden meaning of the microaggressions, and then the themes that emerge in data analysis. For instance, from this same Sue et al. study, quote, A client of color expresses concern in discussing racial issues with her white therapist. Her therapist replies with, When I see you, I don't see color. The hidden meaning is, Your racial experiences are not valid. And this is one example of what they call the theme of color blindness. Or, from another study, Nadal et al. in 2016, quote, No homo! The not very hidden meaning there is, I do not want to be perceived as gay. And they cite this as one example of the theme of associating LGBTQ identities with something negative. Microaggression is a useful concept to address unconscious bias in health communication. And I'll share three ideas here with ways to apply these lessons in your practice. First of all, we all engage in microaggressions, sometimes toward people we love. Addressing unconscious bias makes people nervous in several ways we can easily feel defensive about our language. It's important to remember, though, that some of the data in microaggressions research is collected from interactions between family members or friends, or romantic partners, so you don't have to have a negative attitude towards someone to be engaging in microaggressions. It's more about how we tend to speak from the cultural norms we hold, many of which are unconscious. And it may be that when you become aware of the impact of what you've said, you would consciously reject believing such a stereotype. How do you apply this in practice? Well, At some point in your life, it's likely you have unintentionally offended someone you cared about, someone in your family, someone you love. It's because you are operating on cultural norms and may have assumed things that were untrue about this person or a social group they belong to. Once you knew better, you did better. When you've corrected yourself in the past, what made you change? What new information did you get? How did this impact the way you spoke to this person? Keep this in mind the next time you meet a patient from a different social group. You've been reflective about your assumptions and their relationship to your language before. You can do it again. 
Secondly, our language tells on us. Our language reflects what we think is normal, natural, or the way things ought to be. Again, these are cultural norms that we may or may not be aware of. Language is inherited largely from our communities, and this happens largely unconsciously. So much of what we say escapes our notice because we're on kind of an autopilot when we speak. How do you apply this in practice? Well, borrow someone else's ears. More specifically, someone else's point of view. Involve a friend or a family member in helping you see your language from another vantage point, someone with whom you can have respectful disagreements. Maybe consider pairing with a colleague and helping each other make visible what's often invisible. It can be easier to hear stereotypes in someone else's language than in your own. This could also be a valuable time to brainstorm alternative statements or phrases to the ones you've unintentionally gotten used to. And finally, subtle messages pack a punch. The subtle messages within microaggressions add up over time. They have been shown to be the cause of significant health harms, psychologically and physiologically. What do you do in your practice? The next time you meet with a patient from a different social group, try to catch yourself in the act and be aware of your thoughts. What do you think you think of people in this social group? Does your language reflect this? It's possible there may be hidden biases or prejudiced beliefs there if you catch yourself uttering a microaggression. Some researchers suggest this is how discrimination stays alive, by being passed on tacitly, sometimes without our notice. I invite you to sit with this possibility and work on what you've got to work on. I encounter healthcare professionals who actively confront discrimination and bias of all kinds. But when it comes to our language, it's remarkably easy to slip into autopilot. Microaggressions research offers some concrete ways forward. If you are interested in taking your language use seriously, you could also look at your metaphors. I've written a workshop that shows you how to break down the metaphors you use, understand their cognitive and affective aspects, and evaluate them in use. On demand, right on this site. This has been 10 Minutes to Better Patient Communication, and I'm Dr. Anne-Marie Liebel. Thank you for listening. Thanks for listening to 10 Minutes to Better Patient Communication from Health Communication Partners, LLC. Find us at healthcommunicationpartners.com.